This is Tempest Tossed, Conversations on Migration and Mobility, and I'm Alex Alenikoff. In July 2018, the Mexican people elected as their president Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, who's known in Mexico by the acronym AMLO. Lopez Obrador was a former mayor of Mexico City, and he had failed in two previous presidential elections. After his defeat in 2012, AMLO created a new political party called Morena, the Movement for National Regeneration in Spanish, which is seen as on the left in the Mexican political spectrum. And in 2018, he won a resounding victory over the two major Mexican political parties, the PAN and the PRI. AMLO ran on a platform primarily concerned with domestic Mexican issues, but events of the day and in the region necessarily brought the U.S. migration issue into the campaign and has confronted the new administration uh, with a range of issues since he took office in January of this year. Now, viewed from the U.S., one might expect that a left-leaning Mexican president would have harsh words for the policies of Donald Trump, the wall, militarization of the border, pushbacks of asylum seekers to Mexico, and demands that Mexico stop the flow of Central Americans through Mexico to the U.S. border might all be seen as creating problems for a Mexican administration. But AMLO actually had rather little to say about immigration during the 2018 presidential campaign, and he's been a sort of silent partner to the Trump administration. Not, of course, offering to pay for the wall, but neither openly criticizing Trump policies. And perhaps it's because those policies have been directed not so much at Mexican citizens, but rather at migrants from the Northern Triangle countries of Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala. So AMLO's positions since taking office have been what some might label prudent, others might call timid, adopting policies that seem to alternate between welcoming and tolerating Central Americans, while also cooperating with the U.S. government. To understand better who AMLO is and how he is attempting to craft the U.S.-Mexican immigration relationship, we spoke with Carlos Bravo Regidor, who joined the conversation over the phone from Mexico City, where he is a professor at the Center for Research and Teaching in Economics, known by its acronym CIDE. We asked Carlos to talk with us about AMLO's background and the political trajectory that has taken him to the Mexican presidency. In the studio, we had with us Alexandra Delano, an associate professor and chair of the Global Studies program at the New School. She's a former co-director of the Zolberg Institute on Migration and Mobility, which hosts our podcast. Alexandra's recently published a book called From Here and There, Diaspora Policies, Integration, and Social Rights Beyond Borders, which focuses on the Mexican diaspora in the United States. We begin the conversation with Carlos. Uh, Carlos, thank you so much for being uh, our guest today on Tempest Tossed. Um, I want to talk with you about AMLO. Um, uh, it's a name that's not well known uh, in the United States. Of course, everyone in Mexico is well aware of Donald Trump's name, but we are less aware in the United States here uh, about the president, the new president of Mexico. So could you start by giving us a, a, a brief biographical history of uh, AMLO? Uh, where did he come from? What were his politics uh, when he entered into the presidential campaign uh, in Mexico last year? 
Okay, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me, Alex. Uh, well, AMLO is a politician that has been around for a really long time. He joined the ranks of the PRI, Mexico's Revolution, the, you know, the, the party where the Mexican Revolution uh, ended up, you know. Uh, so he, he joined the PRI in the late 1960s and was part of that until the late 1980s. Back then, it must be said, if you wanted to join politics, joining the PRI, you know, was your most sure bet because it was an authoritarian regime and the PRI was an hegemonic party. Uh, but in the late 1980s, uh, AMLO always belonged to a sort of, um, you know, left wing of the party. Since the very beginning, when he lived in Tabasco, and he was a sort of a community organizer with indigenous communities, uh, and he started, you know, going up the ranks until he became the leader of the PRI in Tabasco in the 1980s. Uh, but he was always part of the leftist wing of the PRI, and that left wing of the PRI broke down. Uh, and I mean, it it broke away from the PRI and became a different party called the PRD, the Party of a uh, uh, Partido de la Revolución Democrática, Party of the Democratic Revolution. Uh, and as part of the PRD, he was head of the PRD in the late 1990s, and then he was elected major of Mexico City, a post in which he performed very well, and he became very popular and national figure. Uh, then in 2006 was his first presidential run. Uh, he lost to Felipe Calderón by a very slim margin, less than 1%. He alleged fraud. He never recognized his defeat. Uh, and then, interestingly enough, uh, in 2012, even though he had no political position, no post for six years, he was candidate again. Uh, he ran against Enrique Peña Nieto, and he lost by a margin, I, if I remember correctly, of between four and six points. Uh, and then in, to, in 2018, in his third turn, he finally won heading a coalition of a different, of a new party. He left the PRD in 2012, and he formed his own party called Morena, uh, Movimiento de Regeneración Nacional, a National Regeneration Movement. And he won by a landslide, by more, he's the first president in the history of Mexican democracy to have won by an absolute majority, by more than 50% of the vote. So that is, in a nutshell, his political trajectory, ideologically speaking. Uh, he's always called himself a man of the left. But if you look at the details of his policies, of his discourse, of the sort of political culture he belongs to, because in many ways it's a conservative left. For instance, he is against tax reform. He has always been against, against tax reform. Uh, and now in the 2018 edition of AMLO, he's also been a lot more tolerating, for instance, of certain like religious confessions. He himself has quoted the Bible a number of times as candidate and as, as president. He's, in his coalition, he has this conservative wing that is against abortion, against gay marriage, very conservative on uh, women issues. So it's he, he calls himself a man of the left, and it's clear that he has this social vocation or that he's concerned with what, you know, socialists in the 19th century is called the social question. But it's, it's a left, you know, with a lot of buts when you look at the details. 
What, what was AMLO's position on the wall when Donald Trump repeatedly said he was going to build a wall and Mexico would pay for it? Did AMLO comment on that specifically? Yes, of course. He was against it. But he had like a counter, interesting counter proposal that I'm sure was calculated, you know, to sound uh, somewhat agreeable to Trump. He said he was against the border wall, but that he was in favor of building a wall of economic development in the border states, uh, which was sort of, you know, implement a number of policies to stimulate economic activity and development in the border so that, that people who, you know, stayed there, that did not want to cross to the other side. Uh, I mean, I can only imagine that this was music to the ears of Donald Trump because it was not so much an open rejection or even a defiance of Trump's policies, but an alternative that was really not, um, you know, against the wall, but more more to the point of, you know, Mexico should do something about this, which is create development, particularly in, in certain regions that would act uh, as, an, as a development wall to stop people from migrating. So, Carlos, what what position did uh, AMLO take during the campaign on migration, on the Central Americans coming through uh, uh, Mexico, and on the migration relationship with the United States? Um, well, in, in general terms, migration has never been a priority of López Obrador. Um, I think he sees it as an issue that, you know, can become a distraction to his government, but it has never been something that he has shown, um, you know, concern or that has been part of his priority list. I think that, you know, as as president of Mexico, it is becoming something, not that he is seeking to solve or to attend, but as an issue that is imposing itself upon him, so to speak, like an event, you know. I think he was cautious because he knew he could win and he did not want to start his campaign by openly fighting with Trump. He was he was always critical of the way he has always been critical of the way that Trump Trump speaks about Mexicans or his policies to increase detentions and to want to increase deportations, but that criticism has gone down as Asamblo has gone up in a way. Uh, so he was critical, but as, as we say in Mexico, critical with a small mouth. Or cri- lo criticó con la boca chica, we would say, because AMLO knew already that he was poised to win. And he, he was openly avoiding an explicit conflict with the president of the United States. He was also critical of the wall. But, you know, as AMLO started gathering steam, his campaign started gathering steam and he became, you know, the top candidate, uh, he, he has always been very careful to, you know, say, I'm not going to mess with the domestic politics of the U.S. I'm just going to, you know, ask the president of the United States that we have a respectful relationship. So, Alexander, let me turn to you. How would you characterize AMLO's general approach to the Trump administration? So it's been um, a very sort of quiet and discreet agenda, even in the face of uh, the very significant pressures and the uh, media attention, particularly in the context of the caravan. But I think the the main goal has been to 
to keep it um, quiet, to manage it quite carefully in the uh, bilateral relationship to prevent further attacks from Trump, to guarantee the the, the structure of the relationship through the USMCA um, rather than... The MCA is... The, the the new NAFTA, the new uh, free trade agreement between Mexico, um, U.S. and Canada that was renegotiated right at the beginning of the uh, López Obrador administration. Um, so the sense has been to to prioritize that that issue, that aspect of the relationship, and keep migration under control to a certain extent and not confront Trump. And that is reflected on the fact that they've agreed. Um, to this program of remain in Mexico, which allows asylum seekers to stay in Mexico while they await for their court hearing uh, in the U.S., and also the focus on um, employment, creating employment for Central Americans in Mexico, uh, employment opportunities that would prevent them from continuing their journey to the U.S., and providing them with uh, humanitarian visas that will allow them to remain in the country under safe conditions. Carlos, your thoughts? You know, we know already that his priority regarding the U.S. is to avoid fighting with Trump, which is tragical because in many ways we need the Mexican president to see for Mexicans in the U.S., you know, for their rights. And AMLO apparently is willing, uh, you know, to look, uh, to look to the other side as long as this allows him not to enter into a fight with Donald Trump not to fall into his provocations. So unlike times in the past, uh, the majority of people getting to the U.S. southwest border are, are Central Americans, not Mexicans. And I'm wondering how the, the Mexican government, how AMLO's government is responding to the flow of Central Americans, which may present very different issues than if the flow were primarily Mexican. Sure. Let me say something uh, before tackling that question, which is there is a sort of double displacement, you know, in official discourses about migration, both in the U.S. and Mexico. Trump still still talks as if most of the migration coming from the southern border is Mexican. You know, he speaks about Mexicans flooding the country in general, where when we know that that is not the case, that actually the migration balance in the border for a number of years has been going down and it's almost negative. There's more people crossing south than crossing north. But that that reality, you know, at the at the field level is not reflected in, you know, the official discourse of the president of the U.S. And in the case of the president of Mexico, what we see is that he still speaks as if a lot of Mexicans were migrating, which we know is not the case. We know now that Mexico has become a transit country of Central Americans. So this was something that López Obrador had to catch up to because it did not form part of his original, you know, discourse about migration. Now, ha- having said that, you know, recognize that sort of double fracture between reality at the, at the playing field and political, this presidential discourse, what AMLO has tried to do regarding Central American migration has been, on the one hand, regarding the entrance to Mexico to create some sort of legal order, regular path. Uh, He wants to avoid people, you know, crossing the border, you know, uh, undocumented or clandestinely. He wants people to come in, ask to come in, and they, they will register them and give them a bracelet. This is an important change. Alexandra, how would you characterize the change in policy towards the Central American migrants? 
I think that what has changed and, and, the, and the migrant caravans push for this, I don't think it was explicitly a plan uh, that the government was going to implement, or at least not not as, as soon as it had to, it was forced to um, because of the of the presence of the migrant caravan and the media attention that it generated, particularly when they arrived in, in huge groups to the southern border and um, the, the police responded with um, with measures that called the attention of the international community of this response that wasn't really um, in line with Mexico's values of protection of human rights. So now there is instead this policy of supporting them through humanitarian visas where people can now arrive at a port of entry and just register themselves, go through a background check and then be allowed to enter in the country in safe and, and orderly conditions rather than having to you know, push and, and, and push down a gate, which is what happened with the first migrant caravan and created lots of negative reactions. It gets interesting once Central American migrants approach Mexico's northern border. Because there, what they're, I mean, what they're trying to do is ask for asylum. And, you know, according to international law, until their asylum uh, request is processed, they have the right to stay in the country where they are asking asylum. And President Trump has decided a policy, which is, you know, stay in Mexico. Which is, you can ask, you know, for asylum and we'll process your request, but stay in Mexico while you do that. And Mexico has agreed with that policy. And, you know, it, it's been very hard to find what the explanation, what the rationale or the justification of this is. Mexican officials keep on repeating that they're accepting it for humanitarian reasons. So Mexico is not getting anything in return for accepting a unilateral decision by the government of the United States. Uh, so it's very, Mexico has been playing this sort of uh, two-level game. On the one hand, on the south, trying to create a more orderly and more uh, legal path for people to enter. But in the north, they are helping Trump to try to contain, uh, you know, Central American migrants to cross to the United States. So the situation you're describing is a fairly open southern Mexican border where people can come in and register, but then a very tight U.S. border and the return, uh, the remain in Mexico policy that really traps Central Americans in Mexico right now. That That's pretty much the current situation, yeah? Right. They're, they're trying to prevent them from arriving in the U.S. I think one of the issues with these humanitarian visas that they, as I understand them, they they are issued for one year, um, and and it's supposed to be a way that that can help them uh, stay in the country under safe conditions while they await for their their asylum hearing in the U.S. or find employment and other uh, support in Mexico. But the sense, my sense is that this idea of of temporary migration, as you know, sometimes becomes permanent or, or longer than expected, um, especially when we know the backlogs in the uh, in the U.S. courts and we don't know how long it's going to take them. So I think there's there's a limited vision in terms of what this could mean in the long term uh, and no, no sort of no preparation for what it may mean if Central American migrants remain or new caravans uh, come through Mexico. It, it, it has we, we know about the, the large caravan that took over the news in uh, December, but there have been new caravans in, in recent weeks and months, uh, and the response uh, has been problematic in terms of putting them in shelters under 
conditions that um, are not humane um, and, and not finding a place for them in the meantime. So there's still an adjustment in terms of figuring out, even with the humanitarian visas, how to make sure that they have um, access to the support systems that they need and without creating negative reactions among Mexican society as well, because there were very negative reactions in the first few weeks of the, of the first migrant caravan. Negative reactions against the caravan. Against the caravan, yeah. yeah, from Mexican, the Mexican population saying, "How can we support them if we don't even have access to jobs? If we're a country with uh, such high levels of poverty and inequality, where can we find the resources to support them?" And of course, there's also a discourse of criminalization that trickles down from how Trump has been addressing these issues, and, and other anti-immigrant groups have been sort of uh, presenting them as criminals, as part of gangs that create conditions of insecurity, and that has been replicated in the Mexican context, um, a racism and a, and a discourse of criminalization that is veiled, um, but in this case has come out and in a more explicit way because of the presence of this large group of people crossing through Mexican territory. So the United States would prefer these caravans never get to the U.S. border and I think has asked or put pressure on Mexico to try to stop them. Is Has the government taken a position on whether or not it will try to stop people from moving to the border now? What's the current stance on that? Mm -hmm. um, well, their position is, I think, firstly, linked to this idea of economic development in Mexico and, uh, and AMLO's promise that uh, he will create job opportunities and economic development that will be enough to provide jobs for Mexicans and for Central Americans. So uh, he, he has this sense that we don't even have to address these questions because in the long term, they're there, they won't be questions. There will be enough uh, jobs and, 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 and a support system within Mexico so that migrants don't have to come to the U.S. But in the meantime, the reality, this is, this is a long-term project, right? And in the, in the meantime, what we see is that there's still this push um, from Central American migrants to Mexico and also Mexicans uh, still moving to the U.S. Um, Mexico has one of the highest uh, number of asylum applications to the U.S. Uh, right under Salvadorans. So Salvadorans were about 12,000 in 2018 and Mexicans 10,000. So even if we there is this whole discourse that Mexican migration has decreased, um, it's true that the numbers of uh, people trying to cross uh, through unauthorized ports of entry, uh, Mexicans to the U.S. has decreased in since 2008. But there has been an increase of asylum seekers from Mexico to the U.S. So I think those those are realities that need to be addressed. There was a, a, a lost opportunity in not just in the fact that there's a possibility for a new radical change in, in our migration policy, but the fact that Lopez Obrador came in with a, a very strong majority and had a very significant legitimacy that he could use to push a different kind of agenda in, in the relationship with the U.S. and in response to migration. But as I said before, his position has been to the opposite, to, to focus on, on, a, on a more cautious position in relation to migration so that his other priorities are not affected um, through a confrontation or a potential confrontation with Donald Trump. And the other thing I wanted to add is just Lopez Obrador came into power right uh, around the same time that uh, the Democrats took over the House. And instead of working with them uh, to think about other potential uh, alliances and responses uh, to the Trump administration, it's been, um, you know, it's, its whole agenda is focused on responding to Trump rather than building these stronger coalitions and uh, alliances with other actors within the US that could push for a different type of policy. Even if it's not at the federal level, 
at the state and local level, that there had been work for many years, many decades of Mexican government building these relationships precisely to not create too much noise around its work and, and to support the rights of migrants in this more quiet and careful way through other actors. And that has not been part of the current agenda. Carlos, uh, I'm wondering if you're surprised at the fairly cooperative attitude that the, the AMLO government has taken here towards the Trump administration. Yes and no. Uh, it surprises me, of course, because, you know, Peña Nieto's response to Trump, which was, you know, very uh, unbecoming in terms of defending the interests of Mexico and Mexicans against somebody who was particularly aggressive and antagonistic. And that was, you know, a problem for Peña Nieto. And he was, you know, openly and very intensively criticized because of that. Uh, So it surprises me that López Obrador, who came to power in, you know, in, in a way, in the wave of Peña Nieto's unpopularity, now that he's in power, he's assuming, you know, a similar, you know, attitude towards Trump, in which the priority is not to get in trouble with him. That surprises me a lot. Uh, The fact that he was not more creative or more innovative or or that he hasn't reached out to a lot of allies that Mexico has in the U.S., uh, you know, regarding the, you know, the issue of migration. Now, it doesn't surprise me because Mexico has been put in an incredibly tough spot by Donald Trump. You know, all the conflict that Donald Trump has created is not something that Mexicans wanted, that Mexicans, you know, sought, or that Mexicans even welcome. You know, the reaction of Mexico to Trump over and over again is reactive. Just it's, you know, we're, we immediately got into sort of damage control mode or trying to buy time you know, for Trump to go away or for Trump to get distracted by a myriad other issues or other troubles that he's creating. So in that regard, it doesn't surprise me, but it's surprising when you think, you know, when, when, you, re- when you realize the fact that regarding Trump, AMLO's policy has been continuity and not change in comparison with Peña Nieto. One of the main um, proposals that has emerged in thinking about this new context and the possibility of a new government of the left really shifting um, migration policies and other aspects of uh, Mexico's national policies has been that um, for, for a very long time, one of the main challenges is that Mexico has a very strong um, normative set of structures, right? It, it has um, improved its uh, migration laws, its refugee laws. Um, it's a very uh, proactive member of international community um, pushing for um, the global compact. Um, so, so normatively- Global compact on migration. On migration. Yeah. So normatively, it's very advanced in terms of its principles and, and, the, and the values that are in, in its uh, migration laws and systems, but the problem has been its implementation. And one of the challenges for implementation has been the lack of coordination between the different institutions that manage migration in Mexico. So the fact that the, the foreign ministry has a very strong policy at the consular level for the protection of rights is not matched with the reality of how the Ministry of the Interior manages the question of return migration or the 
question of um, migrants in transit or asylum seekers in Mexico. Um, so here there is a problem of, of lack of institutional coordination and collaboration where those same principles that are implemented in some areas of policy can be reflected in other areas of policy and also uh, resources that are matched with the, the discourse. Right? There's a strong discourse, for example, for protecting the rights of asylum seekers, but the commission in charge of the protection of refugees has one of the lowest budgets uh, of any office in Mexico. And the commission for the um, protection of migrants uh, as well uh, suffers from lack of resources and institutional support in order to actually implement this migration law and these programs that have um, very strong a very strong framework of what a holistic migration policy might look like. So civil society has been pushing for uh, rethinking what that framework uh, for um, institutional support for migration might be, considering the fact that it's a country that's facing emigration, immigration, transit, return, asylum, um, refugee um, issues, and there is and also internal displacement. So there's an opportunity for really thinking what a holistic migration policy might look like, what institutional infrastructure to support that might be. Um, but at the government level, it's faced with the reality that Lopez Obrador has been pushing for austerity measures. And those austerity measures mean taking away resources rather than putting um, those resources where they need to be in order to create this solid infrastructure of support at all levels of the migration process. You've been listening to Tempest Tossed, a production of the Zolberg Institute on Migration and Mobility at the New School. Special thanks to Ana Ramirez Navarro, who helped conceive, develop, and produce this episode. Our engineer is Sahil Ansari at Dodge 112, and theme music composed by Eli Elenikov. We would welcome your comments and suggestions for future episodes. And you can reach us by emailing us at tossedtempest at gmail.com. That's tossedtempest, all one word, at gmail.com.